At least I... I should know the name of the man to whom I owe my life. You mean you don't? Your Majesty, may I present the infamous Simon Templar? new podcast. Hope everybody had a lovely Memorial Day weekend, the start of summer, although here on the East Coast, it doesn't seem like summer at all. And what usually happens, it just goes kind of from winter to summer without any spring, but it's just been rainy and cold and horrible, but I'm sure everything will work itself out like it always does, but right now, let's just start a new podcast. We are again, and uh, after, uh, well, technically a few weeks off, because, you know, we just had the Godfather uh, clip, which, you know, wasn't a, a, technically a fresh podcast, even though it is, this is, uh, you know, a podcast with you and me and, and, our, and our clips, and today, mostly, I mean, how could I not, we're going to be talking about Roger Moore, Roger Moore, one of the greats, one of the greats. I mean, if you like James Bond, you're my age, you love Roger Moore. You can't hate him because he, he was the one who was doing all the Bonds. He's the one we grew up with. He's the guy. And there's uh, plenty to talk about today and very interesting revelations, things I've been finding out, things that uh, you may know or you may not know and... I guess we're going to get to all of that, but I am just going to start by telling you some other stuff first before we get into the Roger Moore. Now, after our last podcast... Um, I told you a story after The Godfather was our last one, right? You know, I was telling you how it went and all the stuff. And I had told you a story about a woman that I was going out with that I took to see Dear Evan Hansen and then took out for dinner and then took drinks, all the nonsense. Um, I, I can't really say ironically, but she heard the podcast, this woman that we were saying, you know, like, how do you not... How do you not offer money? You know, not to be all Jewy, but I'm just saying we're not boyfriend and girlfriend. And of course, the question is, how do you not offer money? You know, I, I mean, isn't it rude? Aren't you taking advantage of somebody if you're not doing it? But she heard the podcast. Um, but I didn't feel bad about it. I was kind of glad. That way, 
fortunately, I mean, I never would have thought she would have listened to the podcast. It, it, uh, as you know, it confuses me when I, uh, I mean, I love it. I love that people listen, but I don't know who listens. And like I say, when you're doing a podcast out of your bedroom sometimes or, or your apartment and you're just talking to yourself or your cat, you're never expecting that anybody's actually listening. You know, you can't picture people listening you know the when i people when i picture people listening to podcasts i'm an old man i picture them listening to the radio you know (laughs) like sitting around a big radio from the 40s i mean i'm not that old but i mean that's the way you know we pictured our parents listening to which they did it was talking about they'd gather around the radio and listen you know i have a, a a part in my uh john adams sitcom you know if that were to ever happen where the way adams and jefferson meet they're at the first Continental Congress meeting, and uh, they don't know each other by face, obviously. There was no Facebook. Uh, you know, maybe you could recognize somebody from a portrait. <laughs> I mean, that's when you got to have a really good eye. Remember, I can't remember names and faces now after I've seen them on TV. So think about if a, if a portrait. I don't know how I do. But um, what happens in, in this particular scene is Adams is going to visit Jefferson and and talk and, and get a because Adams is annoying and he wants to get started already when everybody else is there to party that's the premise of my show so Jefferson keeps moving into all these houses when he's in Philadelphia he keeps moving into houses which he cannot afford uh, he was the Dave Juskow of his uh, time he just keeps moving into houses he's completely bankrupt but he doesn't care he needs nice things and he moves into a house in this particular case Adams lives in a shithole below Larry from Three's Company, of course, because then, you know, Larry has to help him. Uh, well, Adams has to help Larry because he's got two dates for the same night. Um, come on, this is this stuff writes itself. You know you're going to love it. And um, <laughs> and so Adams goes to Jefferson's house and he's unpacking all of his stuff or he's buying new stuff, whatever the case may be. And he's putting up this big flat screen painting. And he's making Adams help. He doesn't know who he is. He's like, you there. Give me a hand with this painting. You know, that kind of stuff, which is always hilarious. And he's putting this big painting up. So he's like, now, what do you think of this? Um, Do you think this is, you know, this is in in the viewing area? Do you think, like, if we have a couch right here, people will just be, this will be the centerpiece? You know, he's, like, basically saying this was where my flat screen TV would be. But now this will be the area where we all gather and stare at this painting. Because there's no flat screen TVs for another 200 years and more. Uh, but that's the way I was thinking of people. You know, I mean, it, it's basically people... I mean, think about for 200 years, you were just hanging around a painting <laughs> or just an area or then the radio. and People were probably complaining, like, you know, the radio is really taken away from the art of conversation because now everybody's gathering around being like, shh, shh, shh. It's kind of funny that we blamed... Radio, for the lack of conversation, now we blame TV, now we blame phones, of course, phones, the internet. And yet, ironically, radio has come back. Radio has come back. What are the odds? What are the odds that you would prefer to text somebody to send a telegram to your friend instead of actually talking to them on the phone? Where Alexander Graham Bell is like, I came up with the greatest invention of all time. You can actually talk to the person. You don't have to send a, a Western Union. You, you don't have to send a, a Morse code. We can actually talk to people. I'm talking about all over the world. 
and 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 everybody's like that's pretty good but we we prefer the the, the morse code and the texting we we prefer the telegram isn't that odd that we went backwards i don't think any history has ever seen that before people who are younger the millennials prefer to write instead of talk on the phone like i'm the only last person that likes to talk on the phone that's why i never have anybody to call anymore that's why it seems so sad isn't that odd you have this device that will not only let you that you can you know and and you can video chat finally because I, I put that in the Godfather. Just, I never, I'll always remember having this Bell telephone book from like first grade. And they're like, by 1968, we should all be able to video chat. I mean, they had a picture of the video chat. It's funny that it took another 40, 50 years for that to happen. But my God, it's happened. And yet we still have the text. Isn't that fascinating? And we'd rather sit and listen to a podcast. I mean, listen to somebody talk like in the old-fashioned radio. It's so odd. Just never would have seen that coming. Would have thought, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Could you have ever imagined in your life, after seeing all the technology that we have, that it would be, hey, let's, well, you know, you don't gather around, but I mean, you just, you have this individual listening experience. It's just kind of odd that that vinyl would come back. It's very strange, you know. Everybody got rid of their albums because it's like, well, but smart people, people that collect comic books or whatever knew, oh, no, I'd hold on to those albums if I were you. You never know. I mean, that's what I do with everything, and yet everything I have isn't worth a penny. With that all being said, what the hell was I talking about? Uh, podcast, right. So I was just saying, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know who listens, and this girl was listening. I mean, because I was saying to myself, why would a young, beautiful girl ever want to listen to a podcast that uh, basically talks about the $6 million man for 20 minutes? But she was listening, which was so nice. You know, then it made me upset, and I'm like, well, maybe I do like this girl. But... You can't, you can't just, you can't offer nothing. You know, if we were boyfriend and girlfriend, it might be different, but I don't even think I've ever had a girlfriend that's never offered. I know we talked about this all last week, so I don't want to go over it again, but I'm just saying it's funny. She heard it. She texted. She goes, hey, sorry. Sorry, I should have declined all your offers. And I think she was missing the point. She's, then she was like, I'm 32. I still have a lot of growing up to do, obviously. Um, maybe that's true. I mean, I don't know where she was brought up, but unfortunately for her, I was brought up, uh, well, maybe it, it, it's kind of in the opposite way. I was brought up where a man is supposed to pay for the woman, which I, I really have no problem with. But my mother and sister have told me over the past 30 years, like, well, it's not like that anymore. It's not like that. You know, a girl, maybe, you know, you should pay half or something. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I was raised a certain way. I'm raised as a gentleman. So, again, I don't mind paying, but when my mother and sister and everybody on the whole planet seems to, you know, I'm not a millionaire, seems to at least split it or, or, or you're just talking about an offer, an offer. And, uh, and after paying for, for a dinner and a show and then and you go to a bar and the bill's $15, to not pick that up, that's a problem. And I feel bad. Uh, that she heard the podcast talking about us that way, but you know, I'm I'm glad that it was said, and and that you know, you're you because that's very rare when you're actually able to tell somebody how you feel and really put it all out before they, you know, get angry or start to cry or walk away. So, um, I feel bad, but I'm glad. I guess I could put it out there, and um, you know, I just can't stop thinking about the risky business thing. And what do you get? She slept with Jacobson. 
our favorite line. But that all being said, that was the uh, last podcast. Now, we were supposed to go up, and I think I told you, to, to the uh, compound of Bristol, Connecticut for ESPN, but that has been canceled twice. Uh, we have another date to to do our uh, our 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 to meet with these these people to get puppet picks back on the air. <laughs> uh, and you know what? Normally, I would say, oh, they really have no interest in meeting with us. It's very clear they've canceled twice. But you know what? I give ESPN a free pass this time. We all know what's happening at ESPN. Everyone knows it was in the paper on a daily basis during that time. They fire 150 people. Their shows are in all crazy. They're canceling. They're starting. They're doing whatever. They're all over the place. Chris Berman's wife dies. We know everything in Bristol is a mess. They give them a pass. You know, I don't want to be like, you know, uh, because certainly many times they're like, oh, they obviously don't care about us. That's why they're treating us this way, calling us hours before the meeting or something, which wouldn't be a problem if it was in New York. That's expected, but... You know, when you got to travel far, it's interesting. Did I, did we talk when I did the Mohegan Sun? Did, no, I don't, that was, I, I can't remember now. Did I tell you that I went to the Mohegan Sun? I don't remember. Did we talk about that? And I opened for Greg Fitzsimmons. Jeez, I don't remember. I think I was so upset, you know, the ESPN thing was canceled, but then I still had this gig at Mohegan Sun to open for Greg and I had to do it and we had to travel five hours I felt bad because the guy that set it up I didn't want to make him look ridiculous so I had to do it and open for Greg which was fine and Greg's a great guy you know and I like Greg so much and that's why I didn't mind um it turns out he's writing on crashing I don't know whether I mentioned he's writing on this season of crashing and uh he told me they're looking for a way to bring uh your pal Dave Jessica back you know what I'm talking about I mean, how great would that be? I mean, that's what we're hoping, right? I know they recently just did a reading. I wasn't invited to. I don't know what's going to happen. I'd certainly like to be back. Obviously. Obviously. No, I don't want to be back. Of course I want to be back. And I can also tell you that I cannot deny. Very nervous that they're uh, you know, going to make me wear something worse than a towel. Like that's what gives them all pleasure. If I look ridiculous. If I look ridiculous. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I just went for a dermatologist appointment. When I go to my doctor, there's a really pretty woman who's a dermatologist. I always go to check her out, too. That sounded creepy, but I go to check, and I was just going to tell her about, I was going to tell her about my mother, my sister, you know, with the eyes and everything. But then she gave me the all-over dermatological body scan, and she's so hot, and she was like, she checked everywhere, you know? Checked under my underwear and everything. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know that was going to happen that day. I was like, oh, well, this is awkward. And I, and I also got the rectal exam. I mean, it all, I was checked everywhere. Everywhere. I was violated. But, you know, it's weird. My doctor was, uh, we were talking for like 20 minutes, just kind of talking about shit or whatever, about comedy or whatever. And then 20 minutes later, then, he's, then he puts on the glove and he goes, all right, you know, uh, bend over. And I'm like, wait, we're still doing this? Because it looks like he was stalling too. He's like, oh, God, I got to do this Ugh, every year now. He only started doing it last year. So now I know every time I go for a physical, uh-oh, they're going to check. But, you know, 
What are you going to do? It's important. It's almost time for a colonoscopy again, too. I'm so excited. Oh, that was the best sleep I ever had with that propopopo. The propopopo, the Michael Jackson death drug. God. And I love the prep. I love the prep. I'm the only person you'll ever meet that loves the prep. I love the drinking of the juice and peeing out of your ass. I love it. I don't know why. I love it. It feels like a, I eat. I, I, the doctor goes, he goes, you're perfectly fine. I'm like, you're a quack. There's no way I can be perfectly fine. I just ate 30 chicken wings the night before. My arteries have to be clogged. I want a second opinion. Now, somebody, somebody's going to check all this stuff. It's impossible that I'm still alive. Boy, that's when you know you're becoming an old Jew. Like, now, Doc, I'm telling you there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but you're obviously a quack. I mean, movies and TV have taught us anything. I've just reached that age. <laughs> and once I donate a new wing to the hospital, they'll be like, listen, just tell them there's something wrong with them. It makes them happy. See, I told you, but I'm not usually like that. I just, I just want to make sure they check. I don't know how you check arteries to see if they're not clogged, but who wants to be in a position where they turned out they are clogged, which would make sense by my dining habits. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I don't know what this physical, like, why not take a, they used to take a chest x-ray. They don't do that anymore. It seems like you got to look inside, right? There's got to be preemptive measures. And, and, and if seriously, if history has taught us anything, it's that there's no rhyme or reason sometimes when somebody goes, uh, you know, my diet is crap. And Linda McCartney's diet was the most healthiest. She might have invented vegetarianism. Paul McCartney's wife and she died uh because there's just you know we talk about this all the time there's there's no there's no rhyme or reason nazis lived to be a hundred and then the the jews they killed the you know no punishment for that no punishment it's just like crimes and misdemeanor some of us believe people will be judged and some of us are like yeah you got it all backwards Boy, we are all over the place today, which is awesome, because we're back. We're back, baby. And it's awesome. And, uh, oh, so so on Mother's Day, uh, the reason why I had to take this girl to see Dear Evan Hansen was because my sister and I were supposed to go together uh, to see this, this amazing play, which I think next week we're going to have... Uh, Liza Minnelli's publicist, little Scotty Gorenstein, talk about the Tonys because it's a good year to talk about the Tonys because I've seen a lot of the stuff and this, seriously, when you see a performance like this once in a life, it, it doesn't happen very often. The last one, like I said, for my money was Grey Gardens, this Christine Ebersol, and it comes once in a lifetime. She's probably done two shows since then and they just haven't been the quality of what this kid Ben Platt has done on stage every night, eight shows a week. They even had an article in the Times like, yeah, it takes a toll on me. I'm like, no kidding. I mean, seriously, it's it's unbelievable. By the way, speaking of which, Tootsie, still happening. Still happening, Dr. Brewster. I am as proud as ever to be a woman at this hospital. I don't know. Just saying. Still happening. Still right there. Who knows? Very exciting. I have an audition for a Broadway show since uh, 1981. I auditioned for the great Woody Allen. And uh, the uh, the boy who got that part, as we have spoken to in this place, was the uh, kid who played Rat in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
Now, normally I would say, I can't believe I missed up on that opportunity, but what happened to that kid from Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Quite frankly, at this point, I have a better career than he does, and I don't have a career. So I've done all right for myself. Plus, he cheated. He wasn't 16 years old when that came out. He wasn't 16. And it specifically said, I only want 16-year-old boys. <laughs> that sounded weird. And it's also from Woody Allen's mouth, which is even worse. Because all I want is 16-year-old boys. That's all I want. This casting agent's like, I don't know whether we should put... No, 16-year-old boys. I will not accept anything but a 16-year-old boy. This is very odd, Woody. I feel very... Listen to what I'm telling you. I swear to God. I swear to God, woman, I will marry my stepdaughter when I get the chance. Um, Which now they make pornos about, you know. He, I guess he was ahead of his time. But uh, so... So the reason my sister couldn't go and this whole mess happened with this girl is because my sister was in a horrible production which I knew was going to be horrible from the start, but now I've seen it, of 9 to 5. 9 to 5, the musical. Yes, the Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dabney Coleman movie made into a musical, apparently written by Dolly Parton, and, well, she stinks. Besides the greatness of the song that is 9 to 5, and let me tell you something, that is a great song. It's a great song, and we know it's a great song. Uh, the place stinks. It stinks. It's a community theater production. One person's worse than the other. Oh, my God. My sister Beth's shows with the seventh graders were better than this production. It stunk. It was horrible. And then I became obsessed. I've never seen the movie 9 to 5. So I was excited, like, going into Dear Evan Hansen. I'm like, I know nothing about it. I want you to wow me. It's like I never saw The Little Mermaid. So I, when I saw my sister's stupid production, I'm like, uh, let me see. I'd never seen Beauty and the Beast. All these things. I'm like, all right, let me be wowed. Like going to see the Harry Potter movies without reading the books. So then I was fascinated by 9 to 5. I just become fascinated by 9 to 5. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. It's just like, I was like, I needed to know more about it. And I'm like, why didn't I see the movie? So then I was just looking up the movie. I don't know why. I guess after I saw it, I just became more obsessed of the premise and the plot and why these idiots didn't get in trouble or whatever whatever the case may be i'm like wait that was in the movie you know i'm always like when i saw an american in paris and uh there's all this stuff about a holocaust survivor and they're taking on the nazis an american in paris the gene kelly ballet when i saw it on broadway i go to my mother i'm like this was in the movie because i remember you know i'm thinking to myself this one best picture i want to see why it won best picture and I'm, in there, I'm like and i'm like wow this is pretty heavy this is 1950 at one best picture something like that right like, right after World War II. I'm like, this is heavy. Like, talking about the Holocaust and Jews and Nazis. And my, my, I go to my mother. I whisper. I'm like, is this in the movie? She goes, no, this isn't in the movie. I'm like, oh, oh. So they have some twat playing the Dolly Parton role, whatever. I mean, she wasn't that bad. But everybody else was just horrible. I mean, just absolutely hard. Including my sister. I don't care. I mean, she was playing a Spanish girl. She goes, well, I wanted to come to my dad, but I couldn't find him. That's, that was her accent. It was hilarious. But, I mean, just everybody sucks because you're in this play. She just loves being in a play. She's just in the chorus. She just loves doing stupid shows. So so then I look up. I, and I say, you know, I'm telling my nieces. I'm like, I'm telling you, it was a very popular movie. It was very popular. In 1980, it came out. Very popular. 
so popular. I don't know why I never saw it. I mean, that was prime movie watching time. You know, only one movie came out a week, and you either you know you're in high school, you either see it or you don't see it. Whatever. I don't know why I never saw it. Just never interested me. Never looked funny. Never cared for Lily Tomlin. Never cared for Jane Fonda. Certainly didn't care for Dolly Parton. The only person I actually cared about was Dabney Coleman. I don't even know why I cared about him. And then I got fascinated. I'm like, oh, isn't it interesting? If it, you know, this is the way my mind works, as you know, if you're a fan of the show. Uh, Dabney Coleman and Jane Fonda worked together again. They must have enjoyed each other's company or something because remember Dabney Coleman was in On Golden Pond with not only Jane Fonda but her father. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that they work, you know, and that's definitely Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda was a powerhouse. She put everything together. Remember, he plays her, like, boyfriend, and, and he's also a dick. He, oh God, that guy was a classic dick. I just saw him on a Different Strokes episode last Friday where he finds out uh, Mr. Drummond has two black kids, and he goes, well, I, I don't mind telling you. I don't care to do business with somebody with some black boys, you know. They get into a huge fight. I'm like, God, does this, does this guy ever play... Somebody wasn't a dick, but he did. I mean, he made, he had a solid, I was thinking about this also because he's in Tootsie. And he's brilliant in Tootsie, and maybe I could play that role. That's 1981. So think about it. He had about a five-year, bam, bam, bam career where he just played a douchebag. Think about him in war games. Now, you you had two tickets to Paris. Who are you working for? Remember, he always played this dick character. He had it down to a science. And they tried very hard to get him a series. They're like, because he was just an actor. He was just an actor. I don't think he was trying to be a movie star. Maybe he was in one thing. I think he was in that Cloak and Dagger with Henry Thomas from E.T., right? So he probably had a window, and I should probably look this up, from 79 to like 85, where he was the villain in everything. Or a half villain, you know, never like a real bad guy, but kind of a bad guy. And then he just dropped out of sight. Because they, then they tried to get him TV work. But it was known at that time that you could never get television work if you were a villain. You could never have the villain as a lead in a TV series. They tried like three shows. I'm telling you, I got to look it up. I remember one was Buffalo Bill where he was kind of the anti-hero. He was a dick. And people were like, that can't hold the lead. You got to care for the lead character. I would say really until Ricky Gervais in the office, and then you can go to Steve Carell after that, until that happened, unless I'm not thinking of somebody, uh, they just didn't have people like that, mostly douchebags, be leads in, in TV series. Dabney Coleman was the first to try. It just wasn't working out. And then television changed. Ricky Gervais changed all that. Uh, a, a, a dislikable star, you know, lead actor you know, that the show's about. And uh, Ricky Gervais certainly uh, was exactly that character and did it i mean flawlessly and maybe uh maybe that was the difference in the sense that he might not have known he was being a dick where dabney coleman was definitely a dick and he knew he was arrogant and an asshole i don't know i'm fascinated by this right so get this right so get this are you ready for this you're not going to believe this so i look up online i'm like let me see how popular nine to five was are you ready for this are you ready for this 1980 Highest grossing movie of 1980. I'm going to tell you in a second. Technically, 9 to 5. Yes! 9 to 5. The highest grossing movie of 1980. Only beaten. So it's second. It's second. But excuse me. Only beaten by The Empire Strikes Back. 
by a hundred million dollars. And that hundred million was probably made like recently. So we don't actually know. I mean, check it out. The Empire Strikes Back came out in May in May of nineteen eighty. And in the opening weekend made four million dollars. Think about that today. Think about that today. The Empire Strikes Back in its opening weekend made four million. Well, let me tell you something. Nine to five in its opening weekend of December of that same year made $4 million. So they might have been actually neck and neck. Nine to five almost beat out Star Wars. What? So then I'm like, I got to see this fucking film. (laughs) When I saw that, I'm like, I got to see this film. And then I'm looking at 1980 and I'm like, oh, well, no wonder it won. I mean, it was, it was a strange year all these comedies were in first place something you're never gonna see again all these comedies except the empire strikes back nine to five stir crazy gene wilder richard pryor number three right next to nine to five and it's opening weekend it's opening weekend it made eight million dollars it beat star wars how's that possible number four airplane I mean, that movie was amazing, but, it, you know, I, I, I knew it did well. I didn't know whether. Number five, the sequel to Every Which Way But Loose. In any which way you can, the Clint Eastwood sequel to Every Which Way But Loose, number five. It shows you what a, uh, what a star Clint Eastwood was because that sequel stunk. Number six, Private Benjamin, Goldie Hawn on her own without using... Jane Fonda or Dolly Parton or something without using any tricks. Number six on her own shows you how popular Goldie Hawn was back then. Number seven, Coal Miner's Daughter. Our first drama. Number seven. Number eight, Smokey and the Bandit 2. And that was a successful movie. I actually thought that was higher up. Smoking the Bandit 2, I think, made more money. It was very, very popular and very well-reviewed and made $10 million in its opening weekend. More than Star Wars. What? Then the Blue Lagoon. Remember that piece of crap? And then the Blues Brothers was number 10. And remember, that was technically a bomb, but made $57 million. And back then, that's, that's quite a bit. And then number 17 of that year, number 17, Caddyshack. Number 17, classic comedy like Caddyshack. Number 17, it only beat out the first, the original Friday the 13th with Kevin Bacon by maybe $100,000. I'm just going down the thing. It's like unbelievable. Like uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie, The Shining is up there. Urban Cowboy. I thought, actually, I thought Urban Cowboy would be number one. I've never seen it, but I remember it being so popular. I remember Popeye being a complete bomb, and yet that was number 12. Dressed to Kill, I saw that. Uh, What's that guy's? uh, uh, Brian De Palma, Angie Dickinson, Michael Caine. Michael Caine, are you telling me Dressed to Kill only made $31 million? The jazz singer with Neil Diamond. The Elephant Man was that year? And and how about this? Are you ready for this? This is 1980. The, uh, d- it did not win Best Picture, but one of the greatest movies of, of our time was only 27th on the list, Raging Bull. 
made 128,000 its first weekend. Xanadu almost beat out Raging Bull. My Bodyguard, one of my favorite movies, Chris Makepeace. Fame? I thought fame would be higher up. That was so popular. It was so popular. It seemed so popular at the time. That's why I'm saying. I said, like, fame and um, Raging Bull and The Shining, didn't they all seem much more popular? Even Popeye than 9 to 5, but 9 to 5 beat them all out by $100 million more. And that movie, so I finally watched it. It's horrible. It's unwatchable. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. Or maybe I was just so angry about that play. It's pretty damn bad. It's just so not fun. It doesn't hold up in any way, shape, or form, which is kind of funny because Airplane does kind of hold up because, you know, it's just classic jokes and stuff, and the Blues Brothers, for me, holds up. I don't know. Maybe that's just us, The Shining. But 9 to 5, it's dated. doesn't hold up. Like, they're all getting high, but... You know, they have, I remember people telling me like, oh, my God, the scene where they get high is so funny. So when I saw the musical, I'm looking at this. I'm like, all right, this isn't funny. And then when I saw the movie, I'm like, I'm waiting for this to be funny. It was not funny. Oh, my God, the scene where the three girls get high. Oh, my God, it's like the best scene. I don't know who told me that. I don't know who I'm quoting. It's the worst scene. They all have visions of how they're going to kill him. Who cares? Maybe we've seen it 100 times. Maybe I guess back then it must have been hilarious or something. But I tell you, it's not. You know what's you know what's funny in a movie? This. Boys, I'd like you to meet your new pitcher, Amanda Wurlich. Juice mix niggers and now a girl? Grab a bat, punk. Now that's funny. Juice fix niggers and now a girl. Now that's the kind of comedy I want to see. That's what we're missing. <laughs> Hello! Speaking of the movies, uh, you know, I was watching uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is killing it. Now, I don't know why I have been bored by I, I, I can't sit through the movies. I can't sit through them. And I like shit movies. These movies are so boring to me. So epically boring. I cannot believe they still make money. I don't know anyone that is excited. Are they made for children? Who are they made for? I haven't met one person. One person who's like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to see Pirates of the Caribbean. Who's going? Do you guys know anybody? Hit me up on Twitter and tell me you know somebody that couldn't wait to see the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That couldn't wait to see that idiot Johnny Depp in another goddamn movie like this. I swear to God. Why? And that's not old man shit. I dare you to find even a kid that you know. A, A teenager that's, oh, my God, I cannot wait. And I'm not talking about a teenager that just wants to go get high and see a movie. I'm talking about a teenager that cannot wait to see the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I dare you to find one. But there must be somebody out there. Where? I've never met one. Guardians of the Galaxy? I get that. But I finally watched it last night, the first one. Because my friend Caitlin told me, you, you got to see it. It's all right. It's okay. I don't know. It's okay, but that in its fourth week is making more money than Baywatch. Baywatch is tanking. Baywatch costs $70 million to make. It made $18 million this week. It's tanking, as we expected. First of all, The Rock, he might be a movie star, but he's in a lot of crap. He's in crap. 
and it's smart using the, the Zach Efron. You know, you want to use it, but I think you ain't got hot girls, but I don't think people care about that shit anymore. I don't think it's a movie about hot girls. I mean, that's why Baywatch was important. There wasn't a lot of easy access pornography and easy access ways to find hot women back then. That's why Baywatch was so important. Here's some G-rated porn that you can have for free once a week. Now it's just too easy to find pictures of really pretty girls in bathing suits everywhere. I just don't think they care, let alone the coming attractions. I mean, they look horrible. They look horrible. So you got The Rock, the Rock and Zac Efron, two very unfunny people who think they're funny. Now, Zac, Efron, Zac Efron's done okay in comedy in the sense he's done those two Seth Rogen movies, but has anybody seen those? I'm not interested in those either. So there's two guys that think they're funny, but they're not. They're not. And a couple of hot girls. And just, oh my God, just, it just looks horrible. It looks unwatchable. I'll probably watch it when it comes to cable because I will watch anything with hot girls in them. I am a sucker. Well, I'm definitely not going to the movies to see it. That's the other thing. I, I hate going to the movies to see hot girl movies because, you know, then I just want to instantly masturbate. You know, it would trigger something in our heads. Why would we want to be in a crowded theater? Remember, I finally was fine, able to get away from that. Remember, I, I'm old enough where I had to go to the movies to see porno. Now, why would I want to do this again and get all, you know, hot and bothered in the movie theater and then I'm nowhere near my house? Come on. Oh. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Roger Moore. And I'm not talking about the uh, the way I found out uh, about that kid, Roger Citrin, who turned out to be gay. And I found out that my friend from high school wanted to be with Roger Moore. Remember that story? I told you that a long time ago about this guy. And he's like, well, I couldn't. You know, he's trying to come out to me. And, he, and he's like, well, I just couldn't help being that I'd rather be with Roger Moore. And I'm like, well, hey, Roger Moore is a handsome fella. You know, I mean, this guy, Roger Moore, you know, he's been in my life. So. Here's the thing about Roger Moore, several things. First of all, uh, well, here's our, our, remember this ending? It's our favorite. Sean, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British end up, sir. Nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad for the rest. Nobody does it Baby, you're the best. That's my favorite. Nobody plays that except me. You're only going to hear that here. But keeping the British end up, sir. Classic. Now, let's, first of all, what I've been doing, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is that apparently Roger Moore, unlike Sean Connery from what we have heard and what we can surmise through other actors um, people talking and reports apparently Roger Moore was a delightful human being and I guess the reason why he didn't work as much like Sean Connery we all know has become a better actor since James Bond you know he got older and he got in some really interesting parts and you don't think of him as James Bond anymore he's he surpassed it he won an Oscar but Roger Moore was clearly playing Roger Moore he was an actor in the sense that he was able to 
deliver a line and he had a sophistication about him, obviously, but I don't think he was an actor and James Bond was his thing. Even Timothy Dalton, um, uh, the other guy, uh, Pierce Bronson, they've all gone on to do other things where I don't think of them as James Bond anymore. But Roger Moore was never able to do that because I don't, I don't think he cared really. I, I, and, and, and he's one of the few people that just didn't mind being James Bond. I think he was very happy in his life and was thrilled because when you see all these these things, now, first of all, they all tell you that he made a lot of money for UNICEF. Now, you know I hate UNICEF. You know I do not believe in their cause, and I wish they would just stop. But he probably didn't even know the half. I mean, he probably didn't even care, and that was back in the 70s when we didn't know what was going on, but apparently that was his charity, and he was really good about it. And whatever he thought he was doing, I'm sure he did for good reason. I'm sure he... He didn't do on purpose because he's like, good, I'm glad they don't give to Jews. At least that's what I want to believe. Praying to God he's not an anti-Semite. But uh, here, somebody said this on the internet. I told you, uh, no matter who was your favorite Bond, Roger Moore was the person who had the most fun playing Bond. And that's so obvious. Uh, and here's, now here's this guy that everybody's been quoting this guy who was a scriptwriter from London. He had a chance meeting with Roger Moore at an airport when he was seven. And um, he got all these likes on Facebook because it's a grass. He goes, as a seven-year-old in 1983, in the days before first-class lounges, whatever, I was with my granddad in Nice Airport and saw Roger Moore sitting at the departure gate reading a paper. I told my granddad I'd just see James Bond and asked if we could go over so I could get his autograph. My granddad had no idea who James Bond or Roger Moore was, so we walked over as he popped in front of me with my words. My grandson says you're famous. Can you sign this? As charming as you expect, Roger asks my name and duly signs the back of my plane ticket, a fulsome note full of best wishes. I'm ecstatic, but as we head back to our seats, I glance down at the signature. It's hard to decipher, but it definitely doesn't say James Bond. My granddad looks at it and figures it says Roger Moore. And he says, I have no idea who that is. And my heart sinks. I tell my granddad he signed it wrong. I could see being seven and being confused that he's put someone else's name. So my granddad heads back to Roger Moore holding the ticket, which he's only just signed. I remember staying by our seats and my granddad saying, he signed, he says you've signed the wrong name. He says your name is James Bond. And Roger Moore's face crinkled up with realization and he beckoned me over. When I was by his knee, he leant over, looked from side to side, raised an eyebrow, and in a hushed voice said to me, I have to sign my name as Roger Moore because otherwise Blofeld might find out I was here. He asked me not to tell anyone that I'd just seen James Bond and he thanked me for keeping his secret. I went back to our seats, my nerves absolutely jangling with delight. My granddad asked me if he'd signed James Bond. No, I said I'd got it wrong. I was working with James Bond now. Now, how cool is that? I wonder if Daniel Craig would be that cool since he's so angry about being James Bond. So, but it continues. Many years later, I was working as a scriptwriter on a recording that involved UNICEF. And Roger Moore was doing a piece to camera as an ambassador. That's how he got knighted, by the way, his work with UNICEF. He was completely lovely, and while the cameraman was setting up, I told him in passing the story of when I met him in Nice. He was happy to hear it and had a chuckle and said, well, I don't remember. Uh, Oh, I guess he told Roger Moore, and he goes, well, I don't remember, but I'm glad you got to meet James Bond, so that was lovely. And then he did something sober. After the filming, he walked past me in the corridor heading out to his car, but as he got lovely, paused, looked both ways, raised an eyebrow, and in a hushed voice said, of course I remember our meeting in Nice, but I didn't say anything in there because those cameramen, any one of them could be working for Blofeld. The guy said he was delighted at 30 as he'd been at seven. What a man. I mean, obviously, that was his line. 
that he would use. But how smart is it that he just came up with a line to use when people would mistake him for James Bond, especially kids? That's great. And, and then this other guy uh, put together, he said, this is a guy that used to tie turbans on the set of Octopussy. That was his job. I'm a turban tire. Said he saw Roger Moore just sitting outside smoking a cigar, found it really easy to sit and chat with them. He loved cinema. He wasn't even offended when I told him Sean Connery was my favorite Bond. It really does sound like, like this guy was a great human being. He had a fantastic and dry sense of humor. He never took himself seriously, as we know, which is also the criticism in many ways of the way he played James Bond. Uh, but that's, that's what kind of made him a great guy. He loved playing James Bond and all the guys you hear, Sean Connery and I don't know about Pierce Bronson, but I mean, we know Daniel Craig. I mean, they're all so angry, so angry. They have to play James Bond. Oh, I'm so sorry. You have to live every boy's dream because it's better to play James Bond than to actually be James Bond. Playing, acting as James Bond is the greatest. You're acting in a war picture is 10 times better than actually going to war. Being an action hero is 10 times better than actually being a hero. I mean, being a hero is pretty good, but, you know, you want people to know about it. So being an action hero is 10 times better. I'm just saying, my God, these guys. Most of us, our whole lives, we love to play James Bond. Of course, we never we knew we couldn't because we weren't British or handsome or tall. <laughs> But, uh, you know, James Bond, I love James Bond. I've always liked James Bond. I've even read the books. And that's why Casino Royale meant so much to me, the, the Daniel Craig version, which is, one, which is my favorite Bond movie at this point, if I have to tell you. And Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond, even though he's a douchebag. And I have not cared for the other three films after Casino Royale. They're okay. They're just not good enough. They just can't compete to the first one. They're all kind of just smoke and mirrors for me. I can point out why each one of them is bad, let alone Quantum of Solace, which is a bad film. The other two, Skyfall for everybody, for some reason, that's the highest grossing one of all time, and everybody seemed to like it, but I just liked it a little. I needed more as a James Bond fan. It wasn't good enough. Um, but Casino Royale is a perfect one, and I'll tell you, on this podcast, I, just, I know it now. I'm, I'm going over that movie with a fine-tooth comb on one of these podcasts or a different podcast I'm, I'm gonna we're gonna play the whole damn movie and i'm gonna go over each piece of why it's so brilliant because it is and he was a brilliant james bond and the thing about casino royale is that i read that book that was the first james bond book i ever wrote it was the first james bond book when i was a boy and i'll never forget ever i don't know what man could ever forget reading when they cut the hole in the chair and this guy is slapping his balls with an oar. That's in the book. In the uh, movie, they use something else. But I remember I was sitting with my friend Lawrence in the theater, and he cuts the hole in the chair, and I'm like, oh, my God. Lawrence, they're doing the scene from the book. I never thought I would ever see a James Bond get tortured like this. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And you know what? They made it better than the book. They made it better than the book. He's so fucking manly in that scene, and he's, like, laughing, and he goes... I got a little itch down there. Can you scratch it? And then the guy's pummeling his balls, and he's just like, no, no. Or, you know, he's, yes, yes, to the left, to the left. And he's like, you're a very funny man, Mr. Bond. 
oh, that she's amazing and Daniel Craig's amazing in it. And that uh, alone just makes him one of the greatest James Bonds, but there's so many other reasons we'll get into that. Today we're talking about Roger Moore. Now, Roger Moore to me, The Spy Who Loved Me is the first James Bond movie I ever saw in my life, in the movies when I was young. That was the first James Bond movie I ever saw. Now, let me tell you something. The Spy Who Loved Me is the exact movie a 12 to 13-year-old boy needs to see as his first James Bond movie. The Spy Who Loved Me is the quintessential perfect movie for a 13-year-old boy. It has everything a 13-year-old boy needs to worship James Bond from that day on. It has one of the prettiest girls ever. I Barbara Bach is, okay, for me, Barbara Bach is, I don't even want to tell you, but she's probably the second hottest Bond girl. I got a problem. I even though it's the worst movie and she's the worst actress, for some reason, Denise Richards works for me. I, listen, I don't know why. In the world is not enough. The worst movie, I can't sit through it, but... Look, I like Denise Richards. There's nothing I can do about it, all right? But Barbara Bach is number two. And, I mean, I was masturbating to her after that for years, for years after that. She was the sexiest girl I'd ever seen. I used to picture her and Catherine Bach making out that they were sisters. I can can you believe that all the stuff that was in my head is now you can you can just see it on your phone? Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that unbelievable? There were plenty of perverts like me out there. Cause somebody had to say, like, you know what we should do? And you know it's popular. Oh my gosh, Barbara Bach. So pretty. But right, so it has that, it has her, and it has some of the greatest gadgets. A car? That also goes in the water? What? It's also a submarine? What? How is that not a 13-year-old boy's greatest film ever? Let alone the opening scene. The opening scene where he goes down the ski slope, being shot at from behind, takes one of his ski poles and shoots a guy, and then which turns out that guy, it turns out that guy was supposed to be James Bond. They wanted this guy. Let me see. I have the information. The guy's name was Michael Billington. Now, Michael Billington was who they wanted to play the role of James Bond before Live and Let Die. And then they gave him the part of the guy that just gets shot going down the ski slope who's actually Triple X's lover, who he kills. That's the guy. I feel bad for that guy. He was supposed to be James Bond, and he's just killed really at the before the opening credits. Just like Horshack got killed before the opening credits of Friday the 13th Part 6. I'll never forget. We couldn't believe it. Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter gets killed before the opening credits of Friday the 13th, Part 6. That's when you know you stink. That's when you know you should probably get out of show business. If you get killed off before the opening credits, you really stink. Thank you. But um, so he's going down a ski slope and, he, and he's got, you know, he's got guns on his, uh, his uh, poles and then he goes off a cliff and the parachute opens, and he falls, and oh my God! I'm like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen, and it just started! And that's 13 to, to any age. In fact, they even say, uh, the executive producer uh, screening attended by Ch- the Prince of Wales, Charles the Prince of Wales, during the Union Jack parachute scene, I've never seen a reaction in the cinema as there was that night, like I said, for the uh, screening of The Spy Who Loved Me. You couldn't help it. You could not help but stand up. Even Prince Charles stood up. 
It is Roger Moore's favorite Bond film, and many reviewers consider it the best installment to star the actor. Uh, here he says, uh, Christopher No praised the uh, gadgets, particularly the Lotus Esper car. That's the one that turns into a submarine. And um, Barbara Bach proves to be an ideal Bond girl, attractive, smart, sexy, and dangerous. And the special effects were good for uh, a 77 film. And let alone the... The score of the Spy Who Loved Me was good. It's Marvin Hamlish's guy that's done a, a chorus line. So I'm like, eh, it's got everything for me. I mean, The Spy Who Loved Me was perfect. Uh, the villain was cool. It, people got eaten by piranhas. It, it was, uh, the, and then, you know, there was a U.S. submarine captain that helped with the mission. He was cool. And then there's a big, you know, there's a big gunfight scene. It's, uh, it really had everything, especially if you're 13, to just craft your head of like, oh my God, this is the greatest. And remember, Bond go, he goes back for the girl. They're like, no, I have orders to blow off that ship. It comes from the top. He goes, I have to go get back. And remember, he's going back to get a girl he knows is planning on killing him after the mission. So it was good. I mean, now that we know how good Bond can be, maybe it's not that good. But that's what Bond was to me. Growing up until I got to see some of the earlier Sean Connery, and I'm like, oh, I guess they're supposed to be a little bit more serious and a little bit more spy-ish. And in that sense, Sean Connery is better. But for my money and the time I grew up, Roger Moore was the shit. I mean, even, you know, and let alone Moonraker. Oh, my God. Moonraker, when they when the, when they come out, they have the, 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 the people are flying in space. The, and the U.S. comes out. And they help out again, and, and maybe that's the th- those two things. The U.S. helped Bond out, and maybe that helped too for me because it wasn't all just British. And uh, they have that space shootout in space where they're fighting with lasers. Oh, my God. Again, as a boy, you're like, this is the greatest movie. I mean, Star Wars is, is, is the shit, but this, this is good. This is good. Holly Goodhead, she was really pretty too. But Roger Moore was was my bond, you know, and then and then to see uh, For Your Eyes Only, and I'm like, eh, it's not really working anymore. And then it turned out Octopussy turned out to be pretty good. Who doesn't like Octopussy? Everybody likes Octopussy. And then I go back, and I finally watch Live and Let Die, uh, Roger Moore's first, first James Bond film, and it's so good. It's so good. I was reading about it. They're trying to convince Sean Connery to return, but he declined. That was after um, Diamonds Are Forever. By the way, speaking of which, it's like if you look, you know, I like this stuff. Live and Let Die. These are all the Roger Moore money-making ones. Live and Let, uh, Moonraker made the most money, $70 million. That's not change for inflation. Um. But so, Live and Let Die made thirty-five million, which is pretty good. The Man with the Golden Gun only made twenty million, but they didn't expect that to make a lot. But The Spy Who Loved Me made double that at forty-six million. Moonraker made seventy. For Your Eyes only made fifty-four. Octopussy made sixty-seven. I think that's why people were like, Octopussy made almost as much as Moonraker, and it, it just did well. And then If You to a Kill, as bad as it is, and and kind of that he was too old and all that stuff. Still made $50 million, which is why these movies continue. Uh, in the franchise in general, Skyfall is the highest grossing Bond movie of all time at $304 million. 
So all the ones that Daniel Craig are first, Spectre, Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale, all his are first. Uh, because that's, you know, it's, it's unfair. Times have changed. That's why Beauty and the Beast, which I actually just saw on Friday night, the new one with Emma Watson, uh, that's like the seventh highest grossing movie of all time now. Because everything's focaccia. These lists don't mean anything unless you take them into consideration for uh, inflation, which I have. <laughs> so adjusted for the ticket prices and all the Bond movies, Thunderball is number one. Thunderball. Thunderball. Yeah, go figure. 661 million. Then it goes Goldfinger at 586. Then Skyfall at 334. So Skyfall's not even close to Thunderball and Goldfinger. Then you only live twice. So all the uh, Sean Connery ones are higher grossing if you took into inflation. Then, uh, then only one of the Daniel Craig ones and another Daniel Craig one doesn't even come in until number 10. So it goes all Sean Connery and then Moonraker at number five and then all Pierce Bronson or to Die Another Day, Tomorrow Never Dies. Then back to From Russia with Love, Diamonds Are Forever, then Casino Royale, The World Is Not Enough, and GoldenEye. I mean, and all the Roger Moore stuff is pretty much at the bottom, which is kind of interesting since that was their really their heyday, The Man with the Golden Gun, View to a Kill, um, For Your Eyes Only, Live and Let Die. It's all on the Spy Love Me, all on the bottom of the list, even in inflation, which is so odd since, to me, that was the, the heyday of James Bond, but... I, I guess they were just keeping it alive and not caring about the the money. I don't I don't know. I can't figure that one out. So they so they were um, looking. I swear to God, at Adam West and Burt Reynolds and Reynolds Burt Reynolds, who probably could have gotten the part because he was the hottest box office star at the time, said no. It should be an Englishman, dummy. At least he said that. Thank God, because I know they keep doing that now. And. Uh, so, more had been considered by the producers before Dr. No and Honor Majesty's Secret Service because he was doing the TV show called The Saint, which is the uh, thing we played up front, which was, I remember that as a kid, because remember, I, I always tell you there's, there was no, there was no, um, t there was no television to watch back in the day. So, I'd see The Saint come on. And I guess I remember it because of the animation. It was a stick figure with a halo over his head. And whenever they would start, the pre-credit sequence was funny. Roger Moore was funny. He always looked at the halo over his head. I never knew what it meant. I still don't really know what it means. I don't know what the premise of the show was, but I, I, I looked it up and I found out that essentially the plot was a Robin Hood who stole from criminals but kept the money. So I guess that's why he was a saint. He was robbing from criminals. I don't know. But I remember the animation. So I'm like, anytime there was animation and a pretty cool song, because the song is cool, and I always remember doo -doo 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 -doo, somebody like whistling or something. At least I, I should know the name of the man to whom I owe my life. You mean you don't? Your Majesty, may I present the infamous Simon Templar? And then he looks up. Oh, the halo. <laughs> and then it's an animated sequence, so... Kind of just like Bond. So I remember like, geez, I wish this, uh, this show was as good as, it, as the opening is. You know, I was always just looking for cartoons.
to watch like, as, a, as a boy, you know? And there was, there was nothing. This was in the 60s, I guess. And the shows were never as good as the opening credits. But you know what the thing is, what I found out also, is that I just saw yesterday that the show Maverick with James Garner, uh, Roger Moore played Maverick. He played his brother. I was like, what? How is this possible? I just saw it yesterday. I just saw an episode yesterday where Roger Moore plays James Garner's cousin. And I was like, and he was doing a downplayed accent, but he can't get rid of the accent. He's not that good an actor. We said that. So the premise was, I looked it up, and the premise was that he had spent time in London as a boy, and that's why he has this ridiculous accent. And I was looking that whole thing up of Maverick. So James Garner was the shit, but because they couldn't tape as much, they it took so long to film, they had to get a brother of his so every other episode, James Garner would be in, and then this other douchebag would be in it, when really all you wanted to see was James Garner because he was the shit. And then he left over a contract dispute in three years because he wanted to become a movie star. But in this particular case, it worked out. I mean, he was really cool, and he was a movie star. Meanwhile, where did he really get his bones back again? On TV in the Rockford Files. So he should shut up. But he didn't leave that show, which is good. But then they, So then they brought in Roger Moore. In the fourth year, to play a gunslinger, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. So this guy had been all over the place. And while he was doing the same, they wanted him to be in Dr. No. They wanted him to be James Bond, just like with Pierce Bronson being in uh, Remington Steel. I guess that's what happens. They're sitting there watching TV. And I'm like, well, this guy's good. And they ended up getting uh, Connery, which uh, worked out very well, except that, you know, he's kind of a dick. But uh, I was reading about Live and Let Die, which is such a good movie. Such a good movie where he's not really walking through. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit tougher. Uh, you know, you don't get the walkthrough really until, well, really the man with the golden gun is kind of a walkthrough. But The Spy Who Loved Me, you know, it hits kind of in stride. And Moonraker is just a joke, even though I love it. So these movies that aren't, Great, they're still so much fun to watch, and I could watch them all the time. So they began Live and Let Die in 72 in Louisiana, but only more, Roger Moore got diagnosed with kidney stones, and he had to wait to do it. Can you imagine getting this big break, and then you get kidney stones? That's something that would happen to me. But I guess they waited, and everything worked out. So then I had I heard that they were shooting in Harlem, you know. And the producers were reportedly required to pay protection money to local Harlem gangs to ensure the crew's safety. When the cash ran out, they were, quote, encouraged to leave. So some exteriors were, in fact, shot in Manhattan's Upper East Side as a result of the difficulties of using real Harlem locations. Well, you got to be idiots to shoot an all-white British production in Harlem at that time. So that's on you. The film holds the records for the most viewed broadcast film on television in the United Kingdom by uh, whatever. And that was only 1980, but remember, that's when television, that's all there was. So Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times stated that Moore had the sur- superficial attributes for the job. The urbanity, I don't know if I said that right, the quizzically raised eyebrow, they always talk about that, the calm under fire and in bed. However, we felt that Moore wasn't satisfactory in living up to the legacy left by Sean Connery in the preceding films. So he rated the villains a little, I want to say banal, but I don't know, maybe 
adding that the film doesn't have a Bond villain worthy of the Goldfingers, Dr. Nose, and odd jobs of the past. That's kind of true. Uh, stated that Connery and Lazenby had an air of concealed thuggishness, clenched fists at the ready, but in Moore's case, a sardonic quip and a raised eyebrow are his deadliest weapons. And that's so true. He had so many good ones. Let's look at a couple of them now. My name's Bond. James Bond. Is he? Are you? Yes. And I'm Dick Tracy, and you're still under arrest. Yeah, that's when he squirts the guy with the hose and view to a kill, the fire guy. That was kind of awesome, even though, you know, there's always scenes in all Bond movies that are always going to be awesome. There's every, even the stinkers, you can always find one or two scenes that are just always going to be like, that's great. But James, I need you. So does England. That's where he's going out of the ski slope to kill that guy. It's so awesome. Mr. Bond, I'm so glad I caught you. Your office called. They're sending a helicopter to pick you up. Some sort of emergency. It usually is. Thank you. Yes, sir. The lady will have a Bacardi on the rocks. For the gentleman, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Touche. I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. So speak or forever hold your peace. West Peckish. Yeah, I remember that one. That was from uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Which is pretty cool. And this one, The Spy I Love Me, the guy is holding on his tie before he falls off the hood and he's asking these things. And then I remember he, uh, you know, I guess this is the first one I saw. And then, then you remember like, oh, yeah, I guess he's allowed to kill guys. He's got a license to kill. Sometimes I always forget about that. He's kind of the anti-hero too in a way, even though these are bad guys. You know, he does kill his fact. In The Spy Who Love Me, Roger Moore brutally assassins the villain just at gunpoint, really in cold. I mean, the guy tried to kill him first. But he just takes a bunch of shots at his chest. And uh, that's rare when that happens. But you do have to remember he's an assassin. That's the best part. And um, Pierce Bronson does that in The World Is Not Enough. Shoots uh, that girl Sophie Marceau in the head. Uh, I think like every Bond has to do that once in a while. Where's Peckish? Pyramids! What a helpful chap. Well, this is my favorite for Moonraker. You missed Mr. Bond. Did I? Guy falls out of the tree. Did I? Did I? You left this with Ferrara, I believe. Oh, yeah, this is the one where he's sitting in the car. It's my I couldn't get the sound. There's this great musical-like beat when he finally meets that guy in For Your Eyes Only with the octagonal glasses, and then his car is on a cliff, and then he pushes him over, remember? Um, but there's this really awesome musical beat that I really like, and I, I couldn't get it. This is his card. Sends it over the cliff. Badass. Oh, it's from Octopussy. I prefer cash. I prefer cash. Genuine Phoenix Lighter. Illuminating. I must say you become more beautiful every day. I am over here. Oh, of course you are. Oh, that's where he's using the magnet mm. uh, to take off that girl's dress because he uses that magnet in Live and Let Die. That's how he gets the uh, 
that bullet to uh, make uh, Kananga explode and then say, well, I always thought he had an overinflated view of himself. <laughs> oh, the Bon Wit. What? Uh, speaking of which, I found the uh, that Steve Coogan and um, Rob Brydon, you know, the trip that we play sometimes. Um, God, this these guys are so good. Drinking the wine makes me feel quite sophisticated. A bit like, you know, James Bond ordering a martini. I'd like a... Like a martini shaken. Not stout. I want it now. Don't make me wait. I'll have a vodka martini shaken, but not stirred. I'll have a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. I'll have a vodka. I'll have a vodka. <laughs> you look very worried. Uh, so do you. No. You should take a look at your face. I'll have a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. You look like you're recovering from a stroke and learning how to get mobility again. I'd, uh, I'd like a vodka martini shaken, but not stirred. I can feel my legs. It's a miracle. I'd like a vodka martini shaken, but not stirred. I'd like a vodka martini. Now they're doing Roger Moore. Not stirred. Come, come, Mr. Bond. <laughs> you derive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You get just as much pleasure from killing as but I, I do. I'm saying that bit. All right, no, when you say it, just don't caricature it, try and do it real. Come, come, come Mr. Bond. Shut up, don't tell me how to act. Uh, well, I bloody should do. Why? Because sometimes you tend to sort of, you know, crank it up a bit. You yeah, know. So whereas the you down. are widely regarded as the king of understatement. All right, I would do like this. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much of... Come, come, Mr. Bond. get the lines right. All right, though, as, a, as a rule, it's okay. more effective if you, okay. if you don't okay. fluff the line. Okay, but I'll deliver it with a nice bit of understatement. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. That was the All right, okay, all right, this is it, this is it. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Fucking yeah. No, you went up at the end, like you, yes. like you watch Australian films. You see what soaps. I did on my face? Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You derive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. When I kill, I kill for <laughs> queen and country. Though I admit, killing you... Now they're, now they're doing it where they just start, they finish the lines while they're taking a drink, which is what I think they do in The Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> These guys are the best. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You derive just as much. If it's Piers Brosnan, they'd say, When I kill, I kill. My name is Bond, James Bond. When I kill, I kill for queen and country, although I admit killing you would be a pleasure. You know, I've never liked artichokes, and there's nothing. Yeah, I can do it with Liam Neeson. Hi. Look, if you let her go, that'll be the end of it. <laughs> but if you don't, I will hunt you down. That's pretty good. I will find you. And I will kill you. Liam Neeson. I do this for a living. If you let her go now, that'll be, if you let her go now, that'll, that'll be the end of it. One man. Searching for but his But if daughter. you don't, I do this for a living. I will hunt you down. I will find you. What was his job? And I will kill you. What did he do for a living? Um, he with the supply yeah. teacher. No. I do this for a living. Now get out your textbooks. <laughs> Those guys are the greatest. What's funnier than two guys trying to outdo each other in imitations? It's like I, I just need to I, I need to do that. I need to um, just find a guy and like do a scene like that where we I mean I, I know they already do the, the Michael Caines ones. I, I think I actually have that here. Did you see this Michael Winner's memorial service? And Michael Caine mm. and Roger Moore were sat there, the two of them, and they, mm. they, 
They looked old, because they are old. I don't think we've ever been this old, Rog. I'll be very honest with you. We've had a pretty good innings, though, Michael. You just dropped your H, Rog. Why is that? That's not like you. <laughs> you just said, we've had a very good innings, Michael. What's the matter, Roger? I haven't... I'm Michael, you're Roger. I haven't the... I haven't the time, Michael. I really haven't the time. I'll tell you the time, Rog. It's getting late. You take my meaning. Oh, uh, Michael. Do you remember back in 88 when we made Bullseye? Ah, glory days. Happy days. Tragically superseded by the television version of Bullseye. With Jim Bowen? With the great James Bowen. 180. I would have loved to have you in as the voice of the scores. It would have been lovely. There's only one word for that. Magic darts. I mean, I think if you and me had been doing bullseye together... There's only one word for that. Magic darts. Yeah, there's only one word for that. Magic, magic darts. darts. There's <laughs> only one word for that. There's magic darts. There's only one word for that. Magic darts. There's only one word for that, Master Bruce. Magic darts. Thank you very much. I haven't been playing for long. You know, I did Tom Papa show uh, last week, and he always has me do Michael Caine. And when I hear those guys, I'm like, why am I doing Michael Caine? Ugh. They're so good, but that's not fair. They're also British, so that's not fair. Here's the actual scene from Man with the Golden Gun. Roger Moore and Christopher Lee. You live well, Scaramanga. As a million dollars a contract, I can afford to, Mr. Bond. You work for Peanuts. A hearty well done from Her Majesty the Queen and a pittance of a pension. Apart from that, we are the same. To us, Mr. Bond. We are the best. There's a useful four-letter word, and you're full of it. When I kill, it's on the specific orders of my government, and those I kill are themselves killers. Oh, come, come, Mr. Bond, you disappoint me. You get as much fulfillment out of killing as I do, so why don't you admit it? I admit killing you would be a pleasure. You should have done that when you first saw me. But then, of course, the English don't consider it sporting to kill in cold blood, do they? Don't count on that. <laughs> There's a four-letter word that you stand for, and you're all full of it. Like, see, I can't get the lines right either, did they? Come, come, Mr. Bond. Come, come, Mr. Bond. <laughs> I'm trying to do it with those guys. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You get such fulfillment of killing as I do. When I kill, it's under strict orders from queen and country. Come, come, Mr. Bond. <laughs> I'm just trying to do the guys on the trip now. <laughs> Those guys are amazing. Come, come, Mr. Bond. Come, come, Mr. Bond. <laughs> you derive just as much pleasure from killing as I See, he says pleasure, but the word is fulfillment. But he says it later. But I love that they can't get the words, but then they make fun of each other for not getting the words, and then they try and get the words. But they just keep trying. Come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. I'm saying that bit. All right, no, I'm saying come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much. Now, I'm adding a third person in. I just don't. I can't be come, come, Mr. Bond. Shut up, don't tell me to act. Well, I bloody should do. Why? Because sometimes you tend to. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You get He does a very good Roger Moore, though, in those other ones he was doing with, um, you know, in... Um, with Michael Caine. So, uh, I remember this. I remember this. Uh, I guess, was it in the 80s or the 90s? I don't know. But I remember both James Bonds, at the time it was only two, 
are at the Academy Awards, and Michael Caine is introducing them both. Now, I be- so it must have been in the 80s because A Fish Called Wanda was that idiot Kevin Klein was. Let me tell you something. I can't stand that guy. And it just, every time, I, I, I just hate him. And he's in Beauty and the Beast. I can't stand him, and I don't know why. I don't know where it stems from. I just, and it has nothing to do with Phoebe Cates, I swear to you. I don't know why I don't like that guy. I just, oh, I got no stomach for him whatsoever. I don't know why. Anyway, Michael Caine had just won for Hannah and Her Sisters, and I think maybe the year before Sean Connery had won Best Supporting Actor. So they're there to introduce Best Supporting Actor, and then Roger Moore comes up. This is during the Oscars. But I remember, because that's when I was trying to start to do my Michael Caine imitation no, no, I started to do the Michael Caine imitation, I think from 83, because I believe Dave Thomas did it on SCTV. And then I remember in 87, I was definitely doing Michael Caine on stage. And the way I would do the way I chose to do him, not stealing Dave Thomas's, but finding a new way to do Michael Caine, because everybody does the same imitations, is that I would always do Michael Caine out of breath. Now, you know, just a 15-year-old girl, I can't believe that you think that this is the way. I was just saying, it always looked like he just run a marathon. Was, now, listen, because I remember he also did a version of Jack the Ripper, a TV movie on Jack the Ripper, where he was trying to, he was actually running. And it was like a dream come true for me because he was actually doing the bit. He goes, now, if he'd run uh, one meter this way or 10 meters, we would have caught him. And there's no way he could have been at that place. I don't know. But here's the scene with uh, the Oscars. <laughs> I just remember, I remember Michael Caine, or in my head, I remember going like, wait, you're James Bond? I thought you were James Bond. And I remember Michael Caine's like, so funny. Isn't this incredible, Sean? 30 years after we first met, here we are at the Oscars together. I'm trying to remember what I was doing at the time. I remember... I was, in, I was in Harold Pinter's first play at the Royal Court. What were you doing? I was still at school. No, you weren't. <laughs> I, I remember what you were doing. You know what he was doing? He was in the chorus of South Pacific. It's true, right? By the way, I loved your speech last year when you got this award. I loved yours too, Michael. Did you? I didn't make one, Sean. I wasn't here. <laughs> I was working. And ladies and gentlemen, I would like to take this opportunity (laughs) to make that speech uh, now. I would like to thank the Academy, of course. Thank you very much. And I would like to thank uh, Woody Allen, my beautiful wife, Shakira, my lovely daughter, Natasha, and I'd like to spell... Oh, Swifty Lazar. Now Roger Moore walks on. I'm, I'm... I'm not on this list. I don't understand it. What's your name? My name is Bond. Bond? He's Bond? Oh. Really? How Wait a minute, hey. <laughs> hey! Hey! It's David Putnam. It's David Putnam, isn't it? <laughs> I thought they'd sent you back to England. No, I, I, no. I used to look like oh, Roger you, Moore. <laughs> you, you know he looks like Roger Moore with a beard. 
And he looks like Sean Connery with a moustache. He is Sean Connery with a moustache. You want to know what I was doing 30 years ago? No, Roger, what were you doing? I was still trying to grow this beard. Were you? <laughs> boom, boom. Shall, shall <laughs> we get on with it? Yeah. The nominees for the best actor in a supporting role are... Alec Guinness in Little like Dorrit. Kevin Kline yeah. in A Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. Martin Landau in Tucker the Man and His Dream. I don't know what year this was, but I haven't heard of any of these films except The Fish Called Wanda. I'm going to assume it's 87. What the hell are those last two? River Phoenix in Running on Empty. Dean Stockwell in Married to the Mob. Dean Stockwell? And the winner is, it's Kevin Klein. The Oscar goes to Kevin Klein in a fish called Wonder. And then he kisses Phoebe Cates and he goes on stage and she's like, congratulations, honey. I'm glad I chose you to blow. Well, screw them, but I love Michael Caine. And when he gets up there, he goes, congratulations, Kevin. You are horrible. That's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I hate you. And I hate everything you do. Roger, why are you trying to grow that beard? It looks ridiculous. You're James Bond. This is James Bond. I remember that as a kid because it was like all my favorite actors. Sean Connery, Roger Moore, and Michael Caine. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, and they're really funny. Well, at least Roger Moore and Michael Caine were. It was very clear Sean Connery had no sense of humor whatsoever. <laughs> But Roger Moore was a cool guy. He was like, it took me this long to grow my beard. Now, it's not funny, but he was trying, and he had a good sense of humor, and he was a sport. So everybody should shut up. Did you know that when they were making The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, they asked Spielberg to do it, and they said um, they had to wait to see. He was in post-production of Jaws, and, and they had to say, and this is a quote, uh, when they were trying to figure out uh, they're like, well, let's see how that fish picture turns out, and then uh, we'll take it to that. So they got the guy. Uh, they were going to get Guy Hamilton, who directed Goldfinger, but then he got offered the opportunity to direct Superman, but he didn't do it. Then Richard Donner did it, and then they turned to that idiot Lewis Gilbert, who had directed he's Only Live Twice, who did a good job in You Only Live Twice, but I remember I think he's the idiot that did one of the other ones where Oh, my God. Like, I think it was it Fury's. No, which is the, I think it's Octopussy. Oh, which is such a shame. That opening scene, he goes down the cliff on one ski and then they play that Beach Boys music. And it's so cool that he's on one ski. But then they add in the Beach Boys music. And I remember people in the theater were so angry. They're like, oh, what has happened? What has happened? After Gilbert was reinstated as director, he decided to bring in another writer, Christopher Wood. Gilbert also decided to fix what he felt the previous Roger Moore films were doing wrong. That's the other two. I don't know what was wrong because I thought he was doing pretty good, which was writing the Bond character too much the way Sean Connery played him, which made sense, and instead portrayed Bond closer to the books, very English, very smooth, good sense of humor. Broccoli asked Wood to create a villain with metal teeth, Jaws, inspired by a brace-wearing henchman named Horror in Fleming's novel. So it turns out Jaws was in the novels because I read... I only read Casino Royale, Live and Let Die, and Diamonds Are Forever. So I didn't read it. No, I thought I read Moonraker. Well, he might not have been in Moonraker, but I guess he was in The Spy Who Loved Me. Remember, they didn't really use any of the books except for the names. That's right. It's funny. Roger Moore used up all of the, the names of the Bond ones. That's why the last 
uh, Bond book, I believe, name was For Your Eyes Only, and then they went to the short stories, which were Octopussy and A View to a Kill, and then I think they just um, gave up, clearly. Um, I'm just trying to... this. Uh, Interestingly, while the sets and gimmicks were the most spectacular to date, we're talking about the Spider Love Me, Bond and the other characters are toned down. There's a minimum of slapstick humor so that they are more realistic than in any other Roger Moore films. Moore gives his best performance in the series. Bond and, you know, uh, Bach are an appealing couple, equal in every way. Film is a real treat, a well-acted, smartly cast, sexy, visually impressive, lavishly produced, powerfully directed mix of a spy romance and a war mission film. Janet Maslin of the New York Times considered the film formulaic and a half hour too long thanks to the obligatory shoot 'em up conclusion. She's right about that. Nevertheless, she says, the dullest sequence here, uh, the, the thing of it, but praised Moore's performance in the film's share of self-mockery, which she found refreshing. The Lotus is spirit, the capable of transforming from car to submarine in the movie, are you ready for this, was purchased for 616,000 pounds at a London auction in October of 2013 by Elon Musk, who plans to rebuild the vehicle and attempt to make the fictional dual-purpose car be an actual dual-purpose car, underwater and on land. Moonraker might not be the best Bond movie. It might not even be the best of Moore's time with the Bond mantle, but all these years later, its goofy charm perhaps best represents the joyful camp that Moore bought to his role as 007, something we will always remember now that he's gone. That is so true. There's just, I mean, listen, the guy's charming. And um, I was just talking to my friend Chris Donahue, and we were talking about another friend of ours that I don't feel like talking to anymore. Um, This guy we used to know as kids. I'm just having a uh, keep in touch, but he's getting a little too close again. He's got some harebrained schemes. And I told him, I'm like, the funny thing about this guy, it's like, you know, why do people keep giving him money to do stuff, to open stuff like restaurants or something like that? And I said, because let's face it, he was very charming. I mean, when you meet him in person, he's very charming. He's very charming. And I could see how he could charm somebody and be like, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. But it turns out he's kind of an idiot. You know, he doesn't really know how to run a place or anything, but he's he certainly doesn't do it on purpose. You know, he just he's not that smart, but he is very charming. And, uh, you know, I think that was the thing about Roger Moore. I mean, how can you you know, I mean, maybe the movies weren't the best in uh, spy pictures go if you're looking for hard hitting action. But I mean, the guy was was ridiculously charming. And there was uh like in all the Bonds, you know, you just, well, unlike with uh, Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brunson, you, you felt safe in his presence. You know, you felt like it was all going to work out with those two. I didn't feel that way. Sean Connery, you definitely felt safe, although he got everyone killed. You know, like, I mean, I remember Ursula Anderson, Dr. No, he's like, let's have some coffee. And they drink the coffee and it's poisoned. And he's like, damn it. In fact, he says, damn coffee. And then he, in Goldfinger, he gets both of those sister. He gets that one girl. Jill Masterson painted in gold and died, and then he gets her sister Tiffany Masterson killed as well. So I don't feel safe with him at all. This is Roger Moore. I think everybody was, uh, he got him out of trouble. 
But that Spy Who Loved Me is a really, really entertaining. That's a really good movie, except for the Jaws parts, actually. Those are the worst. But at the time, at the time, before we knew that Jaws was kind of a joke, because in Moonraker, I mean, it's it's even worse. They become friendly. He helps me because it's my favorite line. I don't know why I don't have it ready. He's like, he's talking, Jaws, can you get the talking lock up? It's, a, it's one of my favorite scenes for some reason. It's because it's just doing Jaws giving the thumbs up. Yeah, sure, no problem. Jaws finds a girlfriend. So ridiculous. Um, and I remember it being ridiculous as a kid, but also finding it kind of funny. But that scene in uh, Spy I Love Me, I remember the trailer. That's why I had to see it, where Bond electrocutes his metal teeth. And they turn purple, and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to see this movie. I'm like, that was the reason I had to see the movie. It just looks so unbelievable. A character like, you know, Jaws with metal teeth, again, as a boy. But that's the thing. These movies were made for 13-year-old boys. They were. And now, these like a movie like Casino Royale is meant for adults. It is meant for adults that don't just like James Bond, but they like plot they like suspense they like drama we're never going to see the likes of casino royale again that is the greatest move that's one of the best movies i've ever seen let alone a james bond movie again i must point out if you have the gall and the balls to put an almost a 45 minute long poker scene in a in an action picture then you win the fact that you can do it, and I want to watch it every time, and I never fast forward or turn it off when it comes to those scenes because they filmed it perfectly and it's suspenseful and awesome every time, then you win. Who directed that movie? That guy should direct every movie. And the James Bonds, the Daniel Craigs have never compared. So I have trouble watching Skyfall and Spectre. I like Spectre a little more than Skyfall. Quantum Solace is just crappy. But as far as the Roger Moore, like, all right, so as far as the Sean Connery goes, I can watch Dr. No all the time. I've enjoyed very much, and Ursula Andrews is just so sexy and stupid, and who cares, you know? That was before they became smart and, and, and hotter, and they, you know, like Holly Goodhead, who was, like, you know, an astrophysicist or something in Moonraker. Um, from Russian with Love, I cannot, I can't stomach for two seconds. It's just dull and boring. Goldfinger, I can watch a hundred times. Thunderball for me is a little a little dull. You Only Live Twice I enjoy very much. I can watch a lot. And Diamonds Are Forever, I'm on the precipice of that one. It's, it's a little dull. He's a little old. But it's still enjoyable, but it still doesn't work as well as uh, Goldfinger or You Only Live Twice. Those are probably my two favorite Sean Connery ones that I can watch probably in their entirety and enjoy the whole thing. Uh, when it comes to the Roger Moore, the, the George Lazenby on the Magic Six, I can't, I can't watch it for two. I try, and it is just uncomfortable, and and he stinks. And there was an article recently about him I, before Roger Moore died. I think, uh, I think there's a documentary they're making on Lazenby's Lazenby's story is the subject of the documentary Becoming Bond, out Saturday on Hulu. Hulu. Lazenby was a 29 and 68, uh, no acting experience. Uh, he had a meeting with Peter Hunt, blah, 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 blah. but Lazenby took the gig for $50,000. When Connery came back for Diamonds Are Forever, he made millions. Connery did. After every Bond film, speculation ensues as to whether its lead actor will return. 
despite knowing that pressure Lazenby had no tears for Daniel Craig. Well, there you go. Those guys don't turn it down like I did. I turned it down and was broke, he said. Those guys were multimillionaires. Why did Lazenby quit Bond? It was the Times. He arrived at the film's premiere long-haired and bearded, more rock star than secret agent, and his own agent, mindful of the burgeoning hippie scene, told Lazenby that Square Bond would never last. <laughs> he must have had the same manager I had who told me I, Jews can't be in 1776. Nowadays, Lazenby says he would love to join Diana Rigg as co-star in a Majesty's Secret Service on Game of Thrones. Now, meanwhile, I have heard countless of times that Diana Rigg hated him and would eat garlic before their kissing scene. She hated him so much. So, Another actress on the set was Joanna Lumley, who played a bit part 23 years before she was an absolutely fabulous. During the shoot, Lazenby and Lumley became rather chummy. We understood each other, blah, blah, blah. Lazenby doesn't regret his experience as Bond, and supernatural forces told him he's better off. On Shirley MacLaine's recommendation, Lazenby visited a psychic You've probably had three wives, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Lazenby's a dick, and his movies suck. Now, as far as Bond movie, as far as Roger Moore movies go, I can watch Live and Let Die from beginning to end every time I can watch this. Uh, uh, I can go off and on with The Man with the Golden Gun. It's not very good, and they know it's not good. So I can watch Live and Let Die from start to finish. I can watch The Spy Who Loved Me from start to finish, and I can probably watch Moonraker from start to finish. Um... Maybe. Uh, okay, if I got to say start to finish, I'm going to say Live and Let Die, Spy You Love Me, and Octopussy. Quite frankly, those three are probably my favorite Roger Moore ones. Octopussy is really good. It's it's not even underrated. It, as you can see, we talked about it earlier. It made a lot of money, and it was good. And Moonrakers, now I have some problems. With, like I said, as a boy, I, I'll never forget when the U.S. comes out, when they come out, because they have the same... I remember they had the same get-ups as, you know, the, the evil space station has the people that are going out and fighting, but then it turns out the U.S. also has them, so they have this battle. And I remember in the theater going to my friend, I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be awesome! I mean, I'll never forget that feeling in the movie theater where I was like, yes, the U.S. is going to kick some ass! I remember being so happy that the U.S. was coming out and they were going to kick some ass. And it wasn't just Britain that was going to help. I remember being so happy. Yeah, USA, we're going to kick ass. Yeah. It was just as good as, you know, when I said to my sister, when a chorus line opened, I'm like, yeah, now that's how you open a show. It was that kind of joy. <laughs> Gay or straight, you decide. Oh, boy. But yeah, there's some parts in Moonraker I got some problems with, but I, I could probably watch it start to finish. All right, so Live and Let, so, no, so live and let Die, Spy Love Me, Moonraker, and Octopus Spark to Finish. Um, Man with the Golden Gun. I can watch Search but there's parts I got to fast forward or leave off. Uh, for Your Eyes Only is actually not that bad. There's just a couple of dull parts that aren't working. But some of it's very good. Uh, I don't need to see Lynn Holly Johnson in a movie or whatever. So I don't hate it. The mountain climbing scene's a little long, but it's not as long as you think it is when you see it again. And From a View to a Kill is quite unwatchable, I have to say, although everyone loves Christopher Walken, and I obviously do as well, miscast. Uh, the scene where he shoots down all the people, I know Roger Moore had a problem with that, where he just is laughing maniacally as he's shooting all the workers. I always had a problem with that. I was like, that's too much. I know that they always want to kill everybody in the movie and stuff, but I don't know. That was just too much. 
And I guess Roger Moore felt that way too. Why wouldn't he? You know, he doesn't do those kind of movies, let alone the part with Grace Jones. Where he's, ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's a bad film. But, you know, there I am. I can watch every one with her on. I just sit there and I'm watching them. Get mad at myself sometimes. But the other ones, those I watch good. So, yeah, the Timothy the uh, Timothy Dalton ones, Living, Living Daylights is unwatchable, but I've caught myself watching it. But I can watch License to Kill all the way through 100 times. I think that's a terrific movie. And the Pierce Bronson ones are just forgotten on me. GoldenEye is okay. I a lot of people that like it. It's a lot of people I know who are younger than me. That's their first Bond film. You know, 20 years later, the video game was amazing. Uh, it's okay, but I don't really like it. I actually prefer Tomorrow Never Dies as a better one. Also, that guy, uh, Victor, whatever, whatever that guy, the guy from Fast Times of Richmond High who switched to Sanka, he's in it, and he's funny. Um, I like that one. I like the Korean or Chinese uh, uh, girl he works with that one. You know, it's funny that my favorite Bond Girls in the world is not enough. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. I do watch Die Another Day. I like that girl from Gone Girl. Or isn't it called Gone Girl? Right. Uh, I think she's really sexy. But it's a horrible movie, so it's very difficult to watch. So I say Tomorrow Never Dies is my favorite Pierce Bronson one. And it's hands down Casino Royale for Daniel Craig. Again, uh, the the best part about... Um, The Timothy Dalton, the second Timothy Dalton one. Uh, what, what, what was, uh, oh God, I can't remember now. Uh, not Living Dead. It's um, License to Kill. Is that uh, it was just about drugs, and it was about a certain amount of money and drugs, you know. And that's you know, Bond has always tried to stay with the times, which is why Live and Let Die. You know, it would have been better if Man with the Golden Gun was Jim Roger Moore's first one because Live and Let Die was trying to deal with the the black exploitation movie, you know, the upcoming black scene in the seventies and stuff. And I think he needed a a walkthrough, but it's still really good. Um, but it's uh, uh, what was the point? Oh, so it but it but it deals with um, what was I saying? The, the, the license to kill just deals with drugs, you know, which was in '86, '87, whenever that movie came out, you know, with coke and 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 just drugs. It, it you know that's why Bond's always trying kept on target, which is why Casino Royale was so good because it wasn't about taking over the world. And a plot like Inspire Love Me. I mean, that was great, taking over the world. That's how you make those Austin Power movies. Um, and that started with the Sean Connery, too. You li- and then you only live twice. And Inspire Love Me, I think they're the same plot. And they have the same screens that were like, we are now impregnable. Uh, with, this, with the shutters closing and everything, they have to get through that those boots and you know, bomb them so they can get in there. Uh, all about people trying to t- destroy the world so they can start a new life or whatever. Or start war. That's why you only in your know, Moonraker. He was trying to kill all the human life and keep the plants and trees. And Spider loved me. He wanted to start an old underwater community. You know, so he was trying to kill everybody on Earth. So at least in uh, Casino Royale, it's only about you know, like forty million dollars, which was great. They were they were just trying to pay back forty million dollars in like you know in, in arms and guns. Just $40 million. That's all it was about. And it, and it was brilliant. And, and that's what made it so good. It, it wasn't about taking over the world. They just have a guy who was a businessman, and he was just trying to win back money and, and trying to work out deals where, where he'd try to blow up that, the, the plane so then his stocks would go up. Even though Goldfinger's idea was brilliant, and that's, it's great when he goes, Goldfinger, that's inspired. 
So your gold, so it'll register the world's gold, and your gold will go up 20, 16.5% to be true, or whatever. Is your, is your iced tea too tart? Is your mint julep too tart? Uh, so most of, I mean, the Roger Moore ones are always about taking over the world, which was fine. And then they cooled it down, and then, you know, for your eyes only. Now, remember, they were supposed to do for your eyes only after The Spy Who Loved Me, but because Star Wars came out, they went with Moonraker instead and made a space one. And that's the thing, too. They're like, we got to put James Bond in space. And Roger Moore's probably like, excuse me? But he pulled it off. I mean, that's the amazing thing. They, they pulled off a, a kind of like, you know, where I'm like, yeah, this could work. I mean, it's not that far-fetched. I mean, the scene where they all come out and shoot each other in space is ridiculous. But, I mean, still, again, as a boy, it was the greatest. But uh, it wasn't that bad. And, I mean, if you're going to use a guy, I mean, I think it, it's better that Roger Moore went into space than any of the other guys. They probably would have been complaining the whole time. Sean Connery would have been angry. He's angry at everything. What a dick. Well, Roger Moore, he was a great man. He was really cool. He'll always be James Bond. I mean, that's the fact that he was in Cannonball Run was awesome because he was James Bond. He was James Bond, and he was Roger Moore, and he was damn cool. And I wish I had met him in my lifetime because he just obviously sounds like a ridiculously cool guy. And um, apparently, yeah, he was a nice guy, and he lived a long life, and, and he loved being Bond. And that's all you really want to hear. And I'm sure when Daniel Craig gets old, he'll be like, you know, maybe playing James Bond wasn't that horrible. And um, then we'll be like, shut up, jerk off. You know what I mean? That's our show for today. R.I.P. Roger Moore. A couple of other things we spoke about today. Next week, we're going to go all... All gay, all Tonys, I think. I think I have to this year. I, I, I could talk about this kid's performance for definitely an hour and a half. I don't know. You know I like talking about the Tonys. It's funny. I I dare any other podcast to do a James Bond tribute and then a Tony podcast the next week. So we'll see. We'll see. June 10th opening for Artie Lang at the Borgata down in Atlantic City. June 14th, the Big Brothers benefit at Gotham Comedy Club here in New York City. August 19th, opening for Arnie Lang at Fairfield, Connecticut at the New York Comedy Club in Fairfield. Maybe it's called the Fairfield Comedy Club, I believe, in Fairfield, Connecticut. And uh, more dates and times heading our way as we uh, get into the summer months. It's going to be a great summer. It's going to be a good summer, as they say, good fellas. And remember, I'm going to the track next week. That's a lot of money for a kid like you. Anybody ask where you get that from, you tell me you're playing craps in Vegas. So that's what I'm going to tell anybody that's asking. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. And I will see you next time on the Name Does God Podcast. Hey, now.